Ron and Anian. You know, I come home at the end of the day and I always talk to my family. You know, how was your day? And, you know, we always have that conversation. That's really what I try to convey to you here. You know, we always get these couple of minutes in the beginning of the show to talk and just kind of warm up the base, so to speak. The Car Doctor. If you're towing in fifth gear, like towing 2,000 pounds, am I prematurely wearing out the clutch on that vehicle? I think it depends on where and when. First of all, is the vehicle as it's set up rated to tow that 2,000 pounds? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Ronnie Manning, the car doctor. Thanks for stopping by this afternoon. I say afternoon because this radio show is live on the network Saturdays 2 to 4 p.m. And you can get a hold of us here at 855-560-9900. The car doctor is 24-7 number. But if we're not, or if you're not, or if one of us is not, listen, somebody's got to be out of place. If you call 855-560-9900 and we're not here, leave a message. It's a 24-7 number. We've set it up with a messaging service. So you can call 855-560-9900. And by the way, that is 24-7 toll-free. Did I tell you that part? Leave a message. And our producer will call you back and uh, get you in the lineup and talk to you on the next live show, whenever that might be, which is usually Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Cardoctorshow.com. Tune in. iHeart, iTunes. Ron at Car Doctor Show if you need me during the week. And um, I think that's about it. Let's get into the show today. Let's uh, let's talk about this. You know, I'm, I'm trying to start with emails. <clears throat> and I, my conversation to Tom was, Tom, get a hold of this guy. He needs help because here's the email. Ron, enjoy the show. This comes to us from Brad. Have a 2005 Chrysler PT Cruiser problems. Overheating, losing one oil quart per 500 miles, losing coolant one quart per day. Work done. Water pump, timing belt, tensioner belts, radiator housing, radiator fan, radiator fan switches, fan relay, thermostat stand, good choice. Radiator cap stand, good choice. Valve cover gasket, spark plug, bars leak, head seal, blown head gasket, repair, case seal. Changed oil after 1,000 miles, very thin, had 5W30, changed to 2050 to help stop the loss. Bottom of the car is covered in oil and the radiator fluid. Customer says he fills the engine coolant and by morning it is gone, but he does not know where it's going because he parks in gravel. The guy bought it for $1,000 and he owes me $2,500. Well, talk about making a bad deal. Um, we were talking about this, like, you know, Tom said, what are you going to do for the guy? I said, gee, I'm, I'm not sure, short of calling the tow truck and just having it hauled away. But, you know, the real conversation is... How do you fix this? Well, I always try to think of something if it was presented to me at the shop. I've got a car here that's it's losing oil and it's losing coolant or using it. And, you know, you've always got to baseline the patient, right? So the question here becomes, and I, it's hard for me to say without talking to him, but it sounds like they were thinking it was a head gasket, but maybe an internal combustion loss. I would definitely want to just, you know, do the baseline. Go for the stats. Does it have a blown head gasket? How's compression in the motor? How many of the leaks are external? How many of the leaks or is, is the consumption issue coming from internally? And, you know, is that the issue? And regardless of, you know, the guy bought it for 1000 owed you 2500 it sounds like this is a mechanic in a repair shop or somebody doing it on the side. You know, you still got to come back to uh, how do you attack it? 
And, you know, losing oil one quart per 500 miles, losing coolant one quart per day, and there's oil leaking out the bottom, there's a heavy oil leak here somewhere. And the only way you're going to diagnose it is if it's even worth diagnosing, uh, because I don't think anywhere in here does he say how many miles are on it. No, he doesn't. Uh, You know, it's 11 years old. You know, if you're going to begin diagnosing it, you've got to wash everything down, look for the oil leaks, find out where the oil leak is. But the fact that it's going through coolant and you don't necessarily see anything leaking, then we've got to think about, yeah, do we have an internal combustion leak? Do we have a head gasket problem? The bottom line really kind of becomes, and we've all fallen into this trap at one time or another, is the way to avoid this is due diligence and, you know, laying the groundwork, not jumping in. I've said it for years. You don't get beat physically in this business. You get beat emotionally. It's when you make that mental mistake, when you don't remember to do something or you haven't followed or established a diagnostic procedure. And far be it for me to ignore the chance to talk about and get on my soapbox and rail about diagnostic procedure when I get the moment. I can imagine how this car got presented, and that's what I tried to put myself in in the repair shop's position. Hey, we've got this car. It's losing oil. It's losing coolant. And I'm looking at this, and the repair shop threw a pile of parts at it. Timing belt, water pump, radiator fan, radiator, switches, relays, and the car still overheats. Well, does it overheat because it's running out of coolant? Does it overheat because the coolant's being superheated because it's got a combustion loss in the combustion chamber? How are we going to fix this? How are we going to diagnose it? Well, I could talk about expensive, hard to do with fancy tools. Let me tell you the basic combustion test. Start the car when it's cold. or When the car is cold, go out there that morning, take the radiator cap off, open the hood, stand away from the car. Well, you can be sitting in the car. Crank the engine. When you start it, does a geyser of coolant shoot out the overflow or the radiator looking like Old Faithful in Yellowstone National Park? And if it does, well, then you've got a combustion loss. You've got a combustion leak into the cooling system, and it's pressurizing it. And that's where your coolant is going. Now, that's not a telltale, be-all, and end-all type of way of doing it because there are cases where coolant leaks occur only when the engine is warm. There's cases where coolant leaks into the combustion chamber occurs over time. But for something like this, this thing sounds like it's hemorrhaging like a, 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 a beached whale stuck on the sand up in Cape Cod. And it's got to be pretty obvious. If it passes that, then what I would suggest you do is get the car warmed up. Do a, do a, once it's warm, do a, do the same test, but be careful how you take that radiator cap off. Let the car cool off a little bit and start it up. You want to be wary of taking the cap off hot. You want to make sure it's, you know, the upper hose is safe to touch and use a rag to just burp it a little bit. Crank it. Does it, does it geyser coolant out of the radiator then? And if it doesn't, then pressurize the radiator. Use a, use a cooling system pressure tester. Does it hold pressure? And if not, where does the coolant go? If you don't see anything external, pull the four spark plugs out. Is there coolant in the cylinders? If there is, voila, you've got your head gasket leak. Now, you know, the fact that you put K-seal in there, KW seal in there, good stuff. If that's not working, I don't think it has a head gasket, but I've still got to diagnose it, and that's really the bottom line. My point is you can get into a problem real quick in this business, and... I always feel bad for guys like this that get into this spot. Been there, done that. When I was younger, you always make that mistake or you always make a mistake that gets you into this spot. Getting out of it's the trick. And sometimes, and maybe that's the case here, I can't help but think 
your first loss is your best loss, even though the guy owes you $2,500, unless somebody's willing to get heavy into engine work, because that might be where this is going. Um, it might be better just to explain to the customer it's not worth fixing. Got to baseline the car. Got to find out where the oil's going. Got to find out where the coolant's going. When you fix the coolant problem, in all likelihood, you will fix the overheat issue. So uh, just be mindful of that. So anyway, we're going to um, we're going to continue this hour uh, from the previous hour. We were talking previous hour um, with regard to technology, in uh, in the sense that if if they had a device that plugged into the OBD2 port, the scan tool connector under the dash. And it would give you information about check engine light when the vehicle's maintenance is due and oil changes and batteries and things like that. Would you spend $25 a year to, 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 to own that per vehicle? And um, I'm going to ask you that question this hour. And um, we'll have a few surprises along the way. Let's pull over and take the pause, I think. And when we return, we'll get right into it. We'll go down and talk to Paul in Virginia about his 87 Bronco, too. I'm Ron Annie in the Car Doctor. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Hey, welcome back. We're on Indian, the car doctor rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. Let's get over and talk to Paul, Virginia, 87 Bronco 2, and some issues with the blower motor. Paul, welcome back to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yes, sir. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing good. What's going on I've got a, I've got 87 Bronco 2, and it, um, if, you, uh, if you run the uh, blower motor on the four-speed, it tends to uh, interfere with the the operation of the engine, uh, and you know the charge just seems to be fine until you put it on that full speed. Uh, it it puts out you know with the headlights on, radio on, everything on, it's uh, still charging the battery. Okay. But when you go to that fourth uh, speed. It drops down to like uh, 12 and a half volts. And even though that should be sufficient to keep the battery going, 12 and a half, I would think, it starts surging. And, you know, if, if you're, you know, that's at idle. If you were to uh, actually be driving, it's, um, it can cause it to back and uh, it can cause it to uh, buck and even backfire sometimes. So, how, how, I'm wondering, Paul. Let me ask you this: how, how are you? Down. Well, I was going to say, how are you measuring the voltage? What are you using to measure the voltage at idle? A DVOM. Okay. And and I was also checking the coolant with the DVOM. Um, you know, you put you put the uh, the one lead to the uh, negative post on the battery, positive post on the battery rather, and then the other one into the coolant, and. Uh, I was actually, you know, if you're if you're under three tenths of a volt, then your coolant should still be good. And I was actually uh, at like point zero three, so I was like at three hundred. So the coolant's right. good. Right. Uh, and then, strangely enough, when you put the uh, that uh, fan, the blower motor, on the four speed, 
it drops to zero. What what drops to zero? The coolant? The the voltage while testing the coolant, yeah. Because, you know, I understand that that's one of the things. You go through the procedure, you check each and every uh, uh, item uh, individually. Um, And uh, so I, I did that. Since I was doing this on my own, I couldn't check it with the power windows and all that, but I was checking everything I could. Well, have you uh, have you done a loaded ground test from the engine block to the negative battery post at the at the battery? Okay, from the block to the uh, well, I would just I would no, I, I would definitely that. you know you, you know check the, check the ground connection at the battery check. You know, do you have a similar reading? I would voltage drop across the engine block. Put the put the ground on the engine block. Is it the same reading on the engine block as it is at the battery? If it's not, then do we have an issue with the battery cable itself? And I would do that on both the positive and the negative side. You know, I would start to look at I would start to look at voltage drops across key components. Is something getting lost somewhere in the shuffle, especially on something like this in eighty seven? Um there's 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 another story behind this vehicle though, isn't there, Paul? I remember over the years we've talked about this truck. Um, was this? I don't want to say it was in a salvage yard, but something happened with this. Is no, this... no, I I've gotten a transmission. It, the vehicle's got well, it's thirty years old now. Right, it's got three hundred thousand uh, miles on it, right? Yeah, I remember this car. Yeah, this this uh, car comes to mind. It, you know, I. I've got I've switched over to synthetic motor oil, which is uh, possibly could cause a little higher consumption of oil. And after two thousand miles, I'm down perhaps as much as a cup. Yeah, you that's know, okay. So, that doesn't bother me. Yeah, you know, the the engine's not been touched. I'm talking about valve covers that haven't been touched. Right. You know, it's just uh, it's been a good vehicle. My um, my thinking is I would start to look at, and I understand the coolant test. I understand why you're doing that. But before we get that scientific, I would just really look at, you know, key grounds. Ground between the engine block and the negative battery cable, positive cable connections into the vehicle. And, you know, I would also want to know why is the charging system dropping to 12 and a half volts? Uh, you know, it, that to me, that's not enough at idle. It's It should be at least a half a volt higher in my mind. You know, typically. Oh yeah, it, it's it's actually uh, if you have it on on speed three, and even with the headlights on, it's cranking out over thirteen volts. Right. But when you go to that fourth speed, so I'm I'm wondering is is it the switch on the blower motor or the blower motor itself? Well, or is it is it that the higher amperage and the higher voltage, uh, the higher amperage requirement of the fourth speed? is now putting such a strain on the alternator that it doesn't allow it to maintain proper voltage. Why don't you why don't you try disconnect yeah, my, why don't you try disconnecting the blower and play with the switch? And I think what you're going to see is without the load of the blower, the alternator is going to charge fine. And my point is it's the load, not the blower itself. For that matter, why don't you get do you have a spare blower motor lying around somewhere? Well, I've got several vehicles, so I might have one that just happens to. Why don't you just? Why don't you just? Why don't you just make a blower setup, or just put some other type of high amperage load? Or yeah, it doesn't have to be installed. Just, right, just put it uh, across the battery. Right. right, put it across the battery. Take a right. take a take a high beam headlight and put it across the battery, 
and see where the charging system voltage goes. Right. Well, and, I, I've got several Fords, so the connector will probably work. So you just you just connect electrically right. and I'm just and spin, you know, just sitting on the bench. Right. I'm just thinking so that what you're going to see is I think you're going to see that the additional electrical load, regardless of what the component is, is going to pull that charging system down too low, and I think that's going to be a case that the problem's in the charging system, that it's not maintaining minimum spec. How old's the alternator? Yeah. Well, the alternator, uh, because of all this, I had about a year ago, I had, I took the alternator out and I brought it to a shop, which that, that's their specialty. They do uh, uh, alternators, generators, and, uh, and uh, solders. Okay. That's their work. Right. And um, so anyway, I had them put uh, brushes in it, and I think they also replaced the diode. And you know, I mean, it was it was actually doing okay. Uh, you know, they tested it and they said, well, it's it's you know, it's like it's close, but it still is like passing. But uh, I took this, you know, I I took it out and I had them bench test it, and it's, yeah, it's kind of on the edge. So they replaced uh, some, you know, some components and. Yeah, I mean, so, I'm I'm thinking. Um, I mean, I'm sure they're going to have a minimum spec at idle what they want to see that charging system in. I'm thinking it's going to yeah. be around thirteen, twelve, eight to thirteen volts. And right now you're under. Yeah, it is until you until you go to that fourth speed. Right, under is under. And then and then it then it uh, drops down to like twelve and a half. Does that affect the blower so, operation at all? Well, the the. The blow is still working with that, um, but uh, you know, and I, I guess I could get by with uh, with with the third speed, but when it gets to be uh, when it gets down into you know like twenty degrees. Well, wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. You really need that four speed. So it's twelve and a half volts at idle. What if you raise the idle? What if you're driving down the road at thirty miles an hour? Where's the charging system? Oh, that's that's even that's even cranked up at two thousand RPMs. Oh no, there's a problem. Doing these things. Nah, yeah. Paul, there, there's a there's a problem here. There's a problem with the charging system, or there's a problem where the amperage demand exceeds the rated capacity of the alternator. Something is failing electrically here. There's a problem. All right. And I and I realize that doesn't take rocket scientists to point that out, but I would tell you to take that alternator back and have them do a full load test to see what kind of test results. And if they come back and say, yeah, the alternator will handle 62 amps, start adding up the components in the vehicle, whatever the number is. But it, it just sounds like you've got something that's not able to meet demand, as simple as that. And I would start there before I start getting too scientific looking at all the other possible extremities. Hey, Paul, stay on the line. Tom's going to get your information. We're going to send you out a choice of one or two Car Doctor t-shirts and uh, help you along your day. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Morning, Andy and the Car Doctor, rolling along at 855-560-9900. And now we come to that part in the show where I branch out and it becomes the Ron and Frank hour. And um, I say that with love because um, even though I've never met this gentleman, he calls in and we always enjoy hearing from him and uh, he's become a regular. He's becoming, look at that, Frank, you're part of the show now. Frank from Congress, New York. How are you today, sir? How you doing, my friend? We're doing well. We're yeah. doing well. What's going on? At the beginning of the show, I couldn't believe it. I was with I was with a group of mechanics today, 
and uh, you have the boss and the parts man right there, and the mechanics around the big garage working on heavy-duty trucks, everything from trucks down to car, whatever. And that's the same exact conversation we had today about buying parts. The head boss is living. I got He wants a certain part. Guy comes down, a salesman comes down, and he goes, well, yeah, I got that. And the next thing he goes, well, I got this part here for 20 or $30 left. And, of course, everybody's trying to save money. But it ain't the part. It's not the, the, the one that you wanted. It, 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 it's a cheaper brand. And, and it just it doesn't work. So he, he, this is what the long story short is. When next time that salesman comes down, he wants to lock him in his office, have a word with him, and have him not come back again because that's not the way we do business. And uh, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, you know, okay. I, I got an email this week, Frank, and I'm looking for it. I don't see it in front of me. Right. But it, it talked about, it was from a it was from a caller, uh, uh, from a listener, and he um, c- came in through a Yahoo account, so I'm not exactly sure. He said, and it was interesting, he said, you know, I had it wrong with regards to the parts about the liability factor. He said, it's not that people are trying to save money. It's just that a lot of repair shops are continually trying to use cheap parts. And, and, and costing the same amount of money, though. Right. So you've got to watch that, too. Right. So, they're charging that, that top rate for the cheaper part, right. making an extra 10 to 20 bucks. And I get that. And I think, and I and I get that. He's 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 got to be, he said, you know, Ron, you don't see it because you're always using good parts, which, yeah, I understand that. I don't. You know, I, I live in the Bergen bubble. I just see the world, and I and I try to, I'll tell you what, one of the advantages people say to me, hey, you know, you're doing this radio show, it's been 25 going on 26 years, you know, why? And I say, because every day I learn something outside of my bubble. I see something that I just had no, I was not cognizant of, that I just didn't realize um, as a result of it. And exactly. it, it's, it's, my point is, you know, when I hear something like that from him, when I hear this from you, it tells me that we're in trouble. What direction we're going in. Yeah. Definitely, we're going in that direction. Yes, every time we turn around, who gets the burden of it? Right. The taxpayer. Right. Okay? The, the, the you taxpayer. Do. I do. Yeah. Okay? The kids do. You go to college, another whatever. Kids, you know, you go, and I understand that. But it gets to a point where, as a consumer, they think, okay, I'm going to save $30 on that part. But they really don't know that that part might not be the right fit for the car, shouldn't be in the car, and that they're going to get half whatever out of it. Or, as you were telling before, about doing maintenance in, in, in a way for your own safety and your family's safety. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a long, it's sometimes, yeah. Okay, I can understand. You got cheap insurance, you got the same insurance. Okay, fine. But when you're talking about your car, you're talking about yourself, the, your family, and the person on the road. And, and that's what the deal is. And that's the deal. And it, it also comes down to when you repair the car, it's got to make sense in the process and the procedure. We had a right. we had a car come in the shop this week a a 2004 Nissan 350Z young man first time in uh, the car was brought in over, from overseas it was over in Puerto Rico the car was just brought here uh, it had a check engine light on and it wasn't it wasn't a terrible looking car it wasn't exactly my cup of tea I can't see myself in a little two seater like yeah. this no, but, but it is what but, it is but it is what it is fifty thousand mile you know clean car but the check engine light was on. Now, the fault was in the valve timing, a variable valve timing system. There was a fault with the driver's side, I'm sorry, the passenger side uh, valve timing control circuit. And I still don't know that I got the 
complete answer. There was some monkeying around going on. Somebody right, sanded right. down the old valve, and they tried to make this work. And I couldn't get a clear answer whether or not the check engine light was on before the car was put on the boat and brought over here, and it sat on the boat for a month. And, you know, it was a whole, like, here we go around and around the, the, the mulberry bush. But my point is, you know, you look at a car like that, and, you know, I couldn't imagine hanging Chinese parts on this car. No, let, me, let me put no. let me put cheaper let me put cheap unreliable parts on something that already has a problem and, and you know how convoluted and twisted can I make this repair possibly and in the end in the end common sense won at won the day because I convinced them I said the car's not worth fixing because the fault can be three hundred dollars worth of widgets the well, three to, to yep. three thousand dollars worth mm-hmm. of widgets. And mm-hmm. it's it's 12 years old, and it's got 50,000 miles on it, and, you know, where do you stop? Exactly, exactly. But <sighs> I, had, I couldn't believe it. I, I just get, I'm in the car, you got the, you got the radio, I go, oh, my God, deja vu. Deja yeah. vu, my man. Yeah, well, Listen, that's... You have a great weekend. Happy Halloween. And, by the way, what are you dressing up as? Well, I thought I'd go out as a civil human being, but since I'm a mechanic, nobody would ever see me that way. Um, you know, I thought I would take. Listen, aren't you going to ask me for a T-shirt? You can't. You already I, got too many. I but got I t- T-shirts. Listen, you give, give them out. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the hoodie or the sweatshirt. Don't that's, wait for the that's, winter time. That's there next. We go. You know, there's an idea. But listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give the next caller. If there's another caller this hour, we're going to give the next caller your T-shirt. So we'll give it to that's them. Fine. We'll that's give it to fine. them in I'm, your I'm name. I'm wearing yours today. All right. I wear it every, uh, every Saturday. Next we appreciate that. On. We appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. All right, all right, brother. Um, Keep that's safe. the deal. All right. all right, Frank. Thanks for calling in and being part of us. We appreciate great. it. Always great. So, Bye. thank you, sir. Isn't that funny? You know, I and I hope, I really do. I really hope that we generate conversations like this because I think it's important that repair shops um, are tuned in and they're they're locked into this and they hear about this and it, it gets everybody to thinking. Uh, you know, the impact of this radio show that I'm so grateful to have to be able to do and bring to you each and every week and the fact that you're here with me. And I and I say that, you know, not, you know, I don't want to get all hokey and stuff, but you know, that's that's really the truth. Um I got a, I got an email. Oh, it's got to be a month ago now. A repair shop somewhere in Florida. They're working on a Chevy Malibu, I think. They're putting a new engine in, a 2.5 liter uh, Chevy four-cylinder, but the problem was they came out of a Malibu with a different fuel system, so it was E85 rated instead of flex fuel or some, or vice versa or some such thing. They needed a wiring diagram. They couldn't find one. I dug through the archives, and I found a wiring diagram, and I emailed it to them, and, you know, two weeks went by, 10 days went by, and the guy wrote back, and he said, hey, I just want to let you know we got the car done. Um, I want to let you know that, you know, we listen to you every week. We appreciate the show. We appreciate what you're trying to do and educating the people. And more importantly, we appreciate the fact that you're trying to put mechanics in a good light. And, you know, that's really what this show is about. I'm just trying to point out that, you know, it's not us against you. It's us trying to help you, the good ones. Yeah, there's bad shops out there. There's bad in all industries, um, you know. And there's there's just guys out there that go to work each and every day that are just trying to help pay the rent and just trying to feed their families and just trying to make a living. Um, and it goes on all over the place. I just sold an, uh, one of the alignment machines. I just sold uh, one of my alignment machines, and I put an ad on one of the mechanics forums, and a gentleman came down. Let me think if I can remember. He's about three hours away up by, um, was it Utica, Utica, New York? And um, Craig, I think his name was. And we were talking, and he's in small town USA, upstate New York, America. 
And, you know, his stories are the same as my stories, except my stories have higher dollars attached to them because of the locale that I'm in. But same thing, trying to help people, trying to get cars fixed, trying to avoid using cheap parts, trying to deal with technology. And it, it just shows you what this industry really is. And that's all I try to make this radio show and what I make it try to make it represent. But um, anyway, 855-560. We'll do that again. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron in the car doctor. And we will return right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900, cardoctorshow.com for more information, as well as podcasting out at TuneIn, iHeart, and iTunes. And uh, take the Car Doctor with you wherever you want to go. And if you need me during the week, it's ron at cardoctorshow.com. Um, I have to do this this week, quick, before we um, uh, move the show along. Um, um, I predict, I'm giving my Halloween prediction now. This week, the Giants will not lose. I just want to make you guys aware. They won't lose because it's a bye week. Oh, I was right. Boy, I'll tell you what, I can predict everything, you know, from water repair to the football scores. So, But um, they did win in London. That was uh, that was kind of an interesting thing, huh? Yes, it was. Yeah, so they, they won and they came back. So who are they going to lose to next week? I think they play Philadelphia. Oh, so that's over. Um, and how are the Jets doing? Did, <laughs> Next topic. Yeah, next topic. That's over. So uh, I just, listen, I have to cover sports a little bit. You know, everybody wants to hear me, you know, kind of do the, oh, see that? I was right, though. I predicted the Giants won't lose this week, which means we're all in trouble. Um, I did find that email. I wanted to just talk about this real quick. Um, Ron, you have it backwards. This comes to us from a Yahoo listener's Mike. He's out on Yahoo. Uh, you have it backwards. You're the rare exception where shop actually uses quality parts. We bring our parts to the mechanics because we want to make sure the part installed is not garbage. You know, and here's my conversation in my head, Mike. If you think the shop is installing garbage parts, what's the workmanship like? They always charge us top dollar for the parts. We figure if we're going to pay so much, we might as well get a good quality part, not the cheapest available, which is what you typically get from any repair shop. Again, if we don't trust them to use a good part, then why are we, you know, it's like I can't go to the diner just because the if the guy, listen, if I go to the diner and the guy uses bad eggs, and doesn't know how to cook them, I just don't go there anymore. Uh, it's a two-part process. But um, I appreciate that thought. This is why I read this, because Mike also had a, he hit the nail on the head with this one, too. Can't wait for driverless vehicles, how much safer the roads will be, and certainly the flow of traffic will be without all the reckless, incompetent drivers, either high on drugs, alcohol, texting, talking on their phones, and daydreaming. Oh, this guy must be from New Jersey. Uh, he must know everybody I see at a green light. Even with an occasional mechanical failure, will be so much safer to take a driverless vehicle than it will be to get on the road with all the reckless, incompetent people who could barely figure out which is the brake and the gas pedal sent from my iPhone, Mike. Um, you know, he's not wrong. And I don't know, it's going to take me a while to get used to driverless vehicles in terms of actually being feeling comfortable sitting in there. But, you know, you look at the computer's ability and how many times the computer's right and the... I mean, the mistakes we've seen with driverless cars is when, I don't think, has anybody, have we had an accident where a, where a driverless car 
has created the accident. We've had it where people have run into the driverless car. Once again, people, the key element. So, you know, maybe as human beings, and here's that emotional element, right? Maybe as human beings, we're all just, we want to be in control. It makes us feel safe. I mean, listen, this is like the argument about, are you better off driving to Florida or taking a plane? And while we all recognize that per miles driven, flying is infinitely safer than driving, how many people? Show of hands. Mine's up, right? Mine's up. I feel better driving the car because I'm the guy in control. I feel better, you know, stopping, starting. Listen, I don't like it when my kids drive me around and I get nervous. It's it's that control thing. And I think that's I think that's the button driverless cars hit. I think that's the problem. That's what they create uh, to us. They kind of hit us in the, in that sequence. So, But anyway, let's pull over and take a pause. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Welcome back. Running the end of the car, doctor. I want to answer this email. Well, real quick, I got a comment. Frank called in. Frank's, Frank just loves listening to this radio show. I think we're going to have to sell it to him uh, when I retire. This way he can he can start with the Frank the Car Doctor show. Frank, I love you, babe. Frank brings up a good point, too. He says, if you don't trust your mechanic, make sure to ask for the parts. And I think that's a that's a basic. But, you know, then again, some people, listen, we had a young man in the shop this week that um, we were fixing his tire. And, you know, we, I, I showed him the puncture. Some people just, you know, the basics. And I get that. And I pulled the nail out of the tire, and he said, where's the air coming from? Do you have a pump going trying to make that air rush out? I said, no, 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 that's the air in the tire. That's It's leaking, and you know it's coming out, and then he kind of got it. So what's basic to you and me isn't so basic to everybody else. So it's just something to, you know, so Frank makes a good point. If you're bringing it to the mechanic, ask for the parts. This comes to us from Walt in Hawaii. I have to go find that video I was supposed to post for Walt back at the beginning of the summer because I know I have it. I just forgot to do it. I'm sorry, Walter. Um, Walt wants me to talk about using gasket sealer, gasket maker, silicon, thread locker, and so on and so forth. Walt from Maui. You know, Walt, there's a whole science to using gaskets and gasket sealer and RTV, and there's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. Suffice it to say that sealing technology has changed drastically over the years, and it's changed as much as the vehicles uh, have, have changed over the past, you know, seven or eight years, ten years in terms of technology. Old-style cork gaskets and stamped steel valve covers, it's going to be a little bit of high-tack and, um, and and put it together. Make sure the edges are, are, are reasonably straight and square, and you're not going to have any problems. You know, if you're using a shim-style valve cover gasket, for conversation's sake, I'm picking on valve cover gaskets today. A shim-style would be a flat piece of steel with rubber embossed on it. If the edges are true, if everything is, is correct as it was machined, you don't need to use any sealant on it, so I tend not to. When you're doing a thermostat and you're using a paper gasket like many thermostat outlets are, it's going to be clean both sides. A schmear, a schmear, all right, which is a little bit less than a goop, all right, of uh, RTV spread around the gasket just enough to give it a taste. But in a lot of cases, I'll use RTV in that application because the thermostat goes in the housing 
the gasket goes on, and then you bolt it up. I'll use the RTV to hold the gasket to the housing, and it gives me a good sealing edge. Now, I could use any one of a half a dozen contact cements, um, and there's a couple of different ways to do it, but the RTV, in the case of a thermostat, gives me a sealing ability, and that's what I'm looking for. Here's the takeaway. On cork, you want to use a substance to help seal or tack up that won't distort the cork once you compress the material against timing cover, valve cover gasket, oil pan, what have you. On a cover gasket that is, you know, solid, like a thermostat, um, you know, or other places where you're going to be sealing something. If it's two stamp steel covers with some rigidity, a little schmear of RTV to help prevent seepage isn't a bad idea on a paper gasket. On a shim gasket with rubber embossed on it, generally they go together dry because there is no issue. Thread locker? Nah, that's a whole other conversation for another day. Not enough time. We'll talk about that in the future. Till then, I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor reminding you good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.